That's some sensational catch. Absolutely brilliant from Hooper. Was hit back firmly by Maiello. Hammered down the ground. It could fly all the way for a maximum. It's gonna soar into the sky. That's the six they needed. That's 50 for Furbrush. What a knock that is from him. Outstanding striking. And that six brings Guernsey back into the game. Could be a catch. What a catch. One-handed grab. And that's Josh Butler, the captain. Oh my days, we have been treated to some catches in this tournament. Welcome to Under the Covers, Guernsey Cricket's very own podcast. I'm Ben Furbrush, Guernsey Cricket Development Manager, and on this podcast we will be chatting to players old and new, coaches, administrators and other cricketing keen beans along the way. Today in Under the Covers, we catch up in part two with Gary Kirsten about his coaching career. Okay, so if we move into your coaching career, um, so you started your own academy in 2007, and shortly after, you took the, the head coach role of uh, the Indian national team. Um, a couple of things on this bit. Uh, you obviously had some reservations about taking the taking the job. Uh, that was pretty well known in the, in the news. Um, and secondly, that's quite a, a large job to take as your first sort of coaching role outside of professional playing days. Yeah, I mean, I probably did it the wrong way around, you know. I didn't build my way up to my coaching career. <laughs> I kind of went the other way, but... Uh... I'd always been fascinated about um, the idea of coaching a team. Um, I wasn't sure, to be honest with you, and that's why I just set up my own coaching academy. I had a lot of fun, just worked with about 20 players one-on-one, work on their batting techniques and stuff, and I really enjoyed that. Um, but I always wanted to coach a team, you know. And, um, yeah, the, the, the Indian offer came out the blue, to be honest. I think they'd been battling to find a new coach after Greg Chappell. Yeah. And... Um, I think I'd interviewed quite a few uh, coaches from around the world. Um, and I was probably the last resort kind of thing. You know, I didn't even apply for the job. But I just got a phone call and from Sunil Gavaska and asked if I would consider coming for an interview. So, yeah, I just, I just went for the interview. But, I mean, literally, I, I got the job, I think, um, mainly because – they enjoyed the fact that I'd had good success against India, to be honest with you, um, yeah. as a player, and that they felt that my personality and my style um, was what they were looking for. You know, if you remember the, the, the time with, with Greg Chappell, you know, I, I think Greg Chappell's a great, great coach, but it, it didn't seem to work. His style didn't seem to work with Indian players, so they were probably looking for an individual who was... Um, you know, I, I guess going to come in and, and just let them get on with things. Um, I quite enjoyed going into that job with a blank sheet of paper, to be honest with you, yeah. because it really helped my coaching journey. And it made me realize um, right from the outset that, um, you know, the way South Africans play cricket, the way Englishmen play cricket, the way Australians play cricket and the way Indians play cricket and Pakistanis and Sri Lankans is all very different. Yeah. Um, so it, was, it would have been naive of me to, come in as a South African and say, well, we play cricket this way. Um, so I'm going to influence you to try and look at it through, through these eyes. So it really helped me because I went on a fact-finding mission for the first three months of that job. Yeah, then you, you ended your stint with India by winning the World Cup in 2011. Um, again, quite some achievement. Uh, was there certain things you focused on in order to get to that stage or was it a sort of a, a longer process of where you you know where they needed to improve on to get there? Yeah, listen, I, I always look at that, look back at that time as a privileged time of my life, but it was a journey, you know, and I look at coaching as a journey. Even if you're on a short campaign with a team, 
the, the journey, there's, there's lots of moving parts and you have to get a lot, a, a lot right. So for me, when I look at that time, I look at it as a journey with a group of other people and all the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle together for us in the end to win the World Cup. Um, my role in that was for, for me to, to um, assist, well, to be the custodian, I guess, of the behaviours that we had agreed upon. Right. That were allow us to be a high-performing team, but also to have a lot of fun as a group of people. Yeah, so um, alongside that as well, you were also number one test player nation. Yeah. <laughs> an achievement at the same time to have both disciplines ticked off. Not many yeah. teams have been able to do that. So I think we sat down as a group and we said, okay, you know, in the room, we've got enough talent to be the best cricket team in the world. We've got a great captain who's just won the 2007 T20 World Cup um, under Dhoni. Um, and I think we... I think we kind of felt, listen, we're letting ourselves down a little bit here, not being at the level that we should be at, you know. So we sat down and we said, okay, what are the kind of things we've got to get better at here? You know, Um, so it was was a collaborative approach. We wrote the the stuff down and then really for me, it was my role as the leader just to, just to check in every day and say, you know, if, if preparation and the quality of our preparation is going to be important to us as a cricket team, then every day I'm going to make sure that we do that, (laughs) you know, and, um, you know, you, you, you could extrapolate that out even further to say, okay, what in preparation was important, you know, and, um, and we did. Um, And we, I think we became a a, a much more organized team. Um, um, And then at the same time, um, we realized what our strengths were across all the formats and then we really worked on our strengths and the areas that we felt opposition team could exploit. um, We spent a lot of time in that. To give an example, um, we realized in test match cricket that if we don't get eight, nine, 10 and 11 batting really well, um, teams were going to exploit our um, tail, tail end batting. And we wanted to make a play to become um, more resilient at the, at the back end of innings. Um, and the reason why is I looked at uh, Vivius Laxman's batting average. And his batting average batting at six for India was 42. And then I looked at a lot of his innings as he, he had the most amount of not outs of any Indian batsman in yeah. the team. And the reason being he's running out of partners. Yeah. <laughs> So we worked on a strategy to, to get uh, our low-order batsmen to be a little bit more resilient with their batting. That made a massive difference to our testing. Right. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. Um, and then, then you, following that, took on a role, a full-time role um, with South Africa. Um, as a South African, this must have been a massive honour. Um, and again, you led South Africa to being number one test-ranked uh, team in the world. Yeah, so listen, I started with the South African team and, I, and um, it was, again, a privilege to, to coach in your own country. Um, my first priority with that team, um, as it was with Graham Smith, um, who, who I worked really well with, was Test Match Cricket. That was our first priority. You know, we were four years out from, an, from, an, from a World Cup. Um, um, so we we had a real we want a real mission for two years to say okay we want to become the number one test team in the world and then we want to stay there yeah um, for a period of time um, so the first year we became the number one test team in the world the number two 
and the second year we stayed there. You know, for a whole year we we didn't lose a test match. I don't think. Um, so, you know, I think we I think what we would do is we were a team that was primed to be the number one test team in the world. And in that in those two years, um, we had a number of series, but um, in those two years we had three innings where we bowled the opposition out for under 50. Right. Three times we did that. So it was an amazing um, affirmation of the quality of our bowling unit. You know, we had um, Dale Stoney was already on fire. Mornay Morkel was a great um, um, combination with Dale. And then we picked Vernon Philander. Yeah. And, I mean, he came in and was a revelation right from the beginning of his career. So we had a gun team attack. And then um, that, that kind of got us, got us over the line in those test matches. I mean, you obviously worked with some fantastic players and the likes of De Villiers, Smith, like you said. Um, that must have been amazing having those sorts of players, you know, at your peril. Yeah, because, you know, these guys are really talented batsmen. But like any player, you do need direction and you do need to be representing a higher purpose, you know. And that's, that's for me, what coaching is about. So my role with those guys is to build good relationships to make sure that they could thrive in the environment. Yeah. Um, which I would be pleased to say that I think most of them did. Um, make sure they thrive, um, and then you know, and then and then put a system together that allows the team to thrive as well. Um, and I think there's a lot of accountability and responsibility for senior players and talented players that they've got to they've got to play into that role as well. They can't just be you know siloed into hit their own performances. Um, so it, yeah, it's fun working with those guys, but it's always fun working with them when the bigger picture gets realised. And then, and then following South Africa, you actually moved into the franchise world of cricket. Um, you were named Delhi Daredevils uh, head coach. Um, and then how did you find the difference between sort of franchise and international cricket? Um, yeah, obviously- very different. Um, and, and for me, that was a real awakening in my coaching career because T20 cricket was demanding, you know, such a different style of, uh, of coaching. I didn't have great success with, with Delhi at all, um, but, I, but I had great learning. You know, it was um, it was for me. I realised that I, that I, you know that it's it's going to demand a, a different style of coaching to me. The campaigns are only eight weeks. Um, you you got a whole bunch of new players from different cultures around the world. You come together, and ten days later, you're playing your first match, and you've got to bang up wins because if you don't win early, you get into trouble in in IPL. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I learned a lot as a coach. And I realized that coaching is very different in that format. You know, it's become a lot more scientific now. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a rich bank of data now that you can use to try and gain a competitive advantage against the opposition. Um, you have to be a lot more organized as a coach. Um, recruitment is, is very important. In, in fact, recruitment is vital to the success of a team. Um, so it, it, I think there was a different demand on coaching. It took me a while to to kind of get into it and, and, and learn about it. <clears throat> um, but I've, I've fun, funny enough, I've, I've really started to enjoy it now. Yeah, and then you also got involved with um, the BBL, with Hobart Hurricanes. Um, how are the two difference in competitions? I, I absolutely love watching the, the BBL. I think it's a great competition uh, as much as the IPL. But how, how are the difference in the two? Yeah, so they're both fantastic competitions. My one, I had one year with Hobart and we had, we had a great year. You know, the team battled the year before um, and we made the final in that year. We lost in the final. 
Um, but I think to get to the final was an amazing achievement for yeah. us. Um, but I enjoyed that year um, because the, the BBL for me is a fantastic tournament. Um, remember that the, the visions of the IPL and the BBL are very different. Um, the IPL was designed as a new format tournament that would bring a new um, um, fan base into the game. And yeah. that's proven to be very successful. And it was a new format that was going to revolutionize the game of cricket. Um, the Big Bash was designed to grow the game of cricket in Australia. Yeah. Um, so they wanted to keep it very domestic. Um, and also to bring, obviously, a new audience in. In fact, one of the, the biggest, if it's not the biggest, are, are women are watch, more women are watching BBL than men, I think. Um, so it's become a very popular version of the game over there. Um, the one thing I like about BBL is... Uh, you can see it. It is inextricably inextricably linked to Australian cricket, whereas the IPL is an international tournament in in, in India. Yeah. <laughs> You're listening to Under the Covers, Guernsey's very own cricket podcast. We'll be back after the short break. Hold him. Beautiful bit of bowling from William Peatfield. The stump comes crashing out the ground, and that's a big wicket here in Guernsey versus Denmark at the KG5. That's the first wicket. Letizia is the one who strikes. He gives it a big celebration. He writes it up in a book. He notes it down and sends them off. Can Manpreet sing to that list? That's the breakthrough Letizia needed. That's the breakthrough Guernsey needed, and that's the breakthrough that Mark Ladder to my left wants. A big smile on his face. And a wonderful shot there. Have a drive for four. Stokes already finding the boundary twice in this game. So you went back to the IPL as well in 2018, uh, this time with Royal Challenge, Challengers Bangalore. Um, this time as a batting coach rather than sort of a head coach. Uh, how did you find that being a specific skills coach? Um, and again, working with the likes of Coley, De Villiers, etc. Well, I mean, I must say that, you know, the the IPL as a domestic tournament, it is the, it's the best domestic tournament in the world. I mean, it is incredibly um, robust. It's rigorous. It, it demands a lot. Um, there's, a, there's a great hype around the, the games itself. Um, so, I, you know, that, that IPL environment is amazing. Um, and that year, um, our coaching staff was Dan Vittori was the head coach. Trent Woodhill was batting coach. I was batting coach as well. We had two batting coaches. Andrew McDonald was a bowling coach. Ashish Nero was a bowling coach. And that was my most enjoyable coaching I've ever had. Yeah. Because every day we had five <clears throat> kind of elite coaches sitting down talking about best practice, you know. And then you had the Coleys and the De Villiers and the great players um, along with it. So I really enjoyed that coaching year more, more than any other, um, um, only because of the robust coaching conversations that we would have. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, some pretty special coaches there in the, in the same room. Um, so with, with regards to coaching, so for you, obviously mentioned, uh, you like to build a relationship with that player first. Is that, is that sort of like your key thing, build a relationship with a player um, and then sort of see how you can aid their game or help their game? Yeah, I, I think for me, the relationship plays a really important role in that. Um, you know, I think one of the dangers we, we can have as coaches is that we, we tick the box in coaching. Um, and ticking the box means 
um, your techniques not up to scratch. Um, I've got the coaching skills to show you another technique. Um, so you must come and listen to me. Um, so we, so we, we don't build context into our coaching interventions. Um, so I'm very passionate um, around um, understanding what that context is, number one, and then having the skill sets as a coach to be able to manage that context really well. And I, when, I, when I talk about that context, I talk about before you intervene technically on someone's batting, you've got to understand the batsman. Yeah. You've got to understand what his needs are. You've got to understand what his strengths are. Um, you've got to understand that, that if you are going to intervene technically into his game, how does that fit into his current game? Um, you cannot compartmentalize technique and say, I think you need to pick the bat up differently. Or I think you need to change your grip. Or I think you need a new trigger. Yeah. Um, you, you know, th- th- there's a whole relationship of trust that needs to unfold before you can even remotely begin a, com- a conversation of, of that seriousness, really. Yeah. Because to change someone's technique is a, for me, is a, is a massive play. And you've got to be careful how you do it. And then also alongside that, if you are going to change the technique, would you say that it has to be done in, in the off-season? Or is there times where you have changed stuff in, in season? So the first thing I would say is that the coach is not changing his technique, the players. Yeah. Um, so so, the, so there's a, there's a, the, your role is to facilitate the journey of someone looking at his game differently. Um, it's not to instruct to the player to say, you've got to play the game differently. The player makes the decision, always. Every player from the age of 10 through, you know, to international standard. The player has to be given the opportunity to make the decision whether he wants to change his technique or not. Obviously, when you're working with a 10-year-old who doesn't always understand the bank of knowledge um, that might come from the, the coach, you will be a little bit more instructional. But I still think there's a skill set that is required to make sure that the player actually gets it. Yeah, yeah. You know, ten year old with a decent technique, and you're saying, "I think you should do this because it's going to help you hit the ball in this area." You've got to explore that with the player rather than telling him that's the way to do it. And I think it requires very skillful, um, skillful coaching to um, to be able to make that happen and, and to become a reality. Um, I think as well, um, building on 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 your question. Um, for me, my, my priority in my coaching is to, is, to, is to make sure that that journey is realized by the player um, um, and that um, the player gets what he wants to out of that relationship. Um, yes, you, you, we would have to play a leadership role in that, but it, but it still comes from, everything's going to come from the player. Yeah, yeah. No, and then... I'll answer the question. Sorry. Yeah. Good. No, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Um, no, and then outside of coaching, uh, also most recently created a new company, uh, Coached, uh, which Guernsey Cricket are fortunate to be involved with. Um, tell us a little bit about the background of Coached and what it's aiming to achieve. Yeah, I mean, I'm passionate about. <laughs> coach education. I've been involved in coaching now since 2004. And, um, um, you know, I've seen a lot through coach education that I question, to be honest with you. Um, um, I believe that um, every coach 
should have alternative forms of coach education. Um, I think coach education is institutionalized at the moment um, and there's certain mechanisms and ways you've got to do it. And, you know, it doesn't always suit everyone, you know, so, so why can't there be other ways to become a good coach? Um, so uh, coach Ed was engineered on, on the back of the experiences largely that I'd had through my coaching journey, which was, you know, uh, alternative to, to say the least. <laughs> it wasn't mainstream. Um, um, and I've been very fortunate along the way to engage with the best coaches in the world um, and the best players. And I've realized there are many different ways um, to learn how to be a good coach. Um, and I think that the, the, the designing of coaching was to create um, a platform that allowed people to engage coaching in a different way. Um, but the most important thing is that ultimately you want to have reach. You know, you want to be able to get coach, uh, alternative coach education to as wide an audience as possible. Right. And we felt that the only way you could do that was online. I mean, there's no other way um, that you could um, um, create alternative coach education mechanisms globally without doing that. Um, physical courses are not easy to attend and they're very limited according to the you know, the, the number of people that can come on those courses and that are invited. Yeah. Um, so for us, this is, we wanted to customize coach education. We wanted to provide products um, that coaches could look at and say, I need to learn more about that yeah. um, um, and provide them with options, you know, to be, able, to be able to do that. So I think the one thing that we were very excited about in coach education is that we're continually producing courses. So we've got a whole bank of courses coming up in the next a few months that is going to allow coaches to say, okay, I think I need a certificate in performance and video analysis. Um, and I probably just need an introductory course. So we're, we're going to help you with an introductory course, you know, to, you know, to allow, to allow, allow you to customize your coach education. Yeah. I think like you said there, that when you do the, the actual coaching badges, it's over a sort of a three day weekend. You're trying to cram as much as you can in, but the advantage of online, I guess you can revisit anything that you do and, and go back over it. Yeah. And, and you, you know, you become part of that coach education community. I mean, we've got now um, 3000 registered coaches on the coach Ed platform, you know, and some of them are um, engaging in weekly webinars. Um, others are engaging in um, the library. Some are, are doing the accreditation. Others are on the, on the elite course. Um, and as we build up the courses, um, we're providing more options for people to become part of the community. And I think we as coaches, I've never been part of a, a coach, coaching community, never in my entire 17 years of coaching. But my coaching community is, is having a, a conversation with the opposition coach after a game. Yeah. You know, and that's been about it. I think the one privilege that we've got is um, we've had some amazing contributions to the, the platform from you know, 50 or 60 of the best coaches in the world. And uh, that is, that's really exciting. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. No, we're really looking forward to getting started on it for Guernsey Cricket. Um, but yeah, just to finish off, uh, just some quick fire questions. Um, it can be either answered with a, from a playing spin or a coaching spin. Some are more orientated towards playing, but who is the quickest bowler you faced? Shire Bakhtar, without a doubt. <laughs> <laughs> And then the toughest bowler, who might not necessarily be the quickest? 
Glenn McGrath, great bowler to left-handers. Great bowler to left-handers. Yeah. Um, left-handers get away with angle, but he cut off angle, made us play most of the balls. Right. And then your favourite ground to play up? Uh, good one. Um, I would I would say Lords. I think it's I think it's a great um, cricketing experience. Um, yeah. Lords. You know, everyone would say normally their home ground. I actually played really poorly at Newlands in Cape Town, which was my home ground. So Lords for me would be the best best cricket experience I've ever had. Right. Uh, and then your favourite memory playing and coaching. Um. I think I think playing, um, you know, having success with a team is is incredible. And um, um, my favourite playing times was the three years I had with the, with the South African ODI team between '96 and '99. Right. Uh, we had a, at that point an eighty percent win ratio, which right. is still, I think, a record. Um, and it was just a great time for us all to play on that team. From a coaching perspective, without a doubt, my three years with the Indian team was as cherished a memory as I'll ever have. And then your favourite coach and why? Favourite coach? Um, I would say the coach that had the biggest impact on my cricket career was Duncan Fletcher. Um, why? I think he was a. I think he was an incredible um, individual. Um, uh, coach for me, I think he understood my game and what was required, um, and I think he pressed the, I think he pressed the right buttons. Um, and a lot of my coaching comes from from his thinking. You know, um, the one thing he did really well with his players is he, he provided options for his players. Yeah. And then the final one, uh, the best player that you've played with, and the best player you you feel you've coached. Best player I played with, um, Jock Callis, without a doubt. Stand up, stand up. I played a lot of cricket with him. We batted a lot together. Without a doubt, the best player I ever played with. He's also um, now... The best player. What's that? He's also now getting into coaching as well. So he doesn't work with Yeah, yeah. Um, the best batsman that I played against, when, when you say player, it's probably, I probably need to break it up, but the yeah. best batsman I played against was Brian Laura. Yeah. Um, um, aggressive player scored a big strike rate and and scored big big hundreds. Yeah, yeah. The best bowler was Glenn, uh, best seamer was Glenn McGraw, and the best spinner I would say probably neck and neck Murrilitran and Shane Warne. Uh, yeah. Shane Warne a great bowling a spin bowling package. Murrilitran I think was an exceptional spinner off spinner especially to left handed. Yeah. No, no, excellent. Thanks very much for taking your time out to jump on the podcast. Any pleasure, Ben. And uh, you guys go well in your cricket. And we, it's great for, for us as coaches to be um, um, part, of your, part of your progress there and, and, and glad to be adding value to your game. No, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Guernsey Cricket Podcast. Remember to hit the subscribe button and keep listening. Shoot me down and I will